0: The Scouted Podcast is brought to you with the support of our friends at Skill Corner, whose tracking data and performance analytics are used by many of the top clubs, leagues, and federations around the world. Covering a wide range of global competitions, Skill Corner's data helps customers to make faster, better informed decisions in recruitment, player development, and strategy. And we are now using it to support our own analysis of up-and-coming talent. For more information, visit skillcorner.com. Hello, welcome back to the scouted podcast powered by our new data partners, Skill Corner. Um, today, we're going to be recapping the 2023 FIFA Under-17 World Cup. Uh, long-time listeners of this podcast will be well aware of our fondness for youth international tournaments. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Stephen Gnavis and Lou Davies, who've not done much else the past month other than watching the World Cup in Indonesia. Um, we've had difficult conditions, the rainy season in Southeast Asia wreaking havoc with the playing surfaces and player fatigue. As ever, an African team stole our hearts with their gutsy, entertaining performances. Uh, A South American clinched the golden boot and a German youngster, some listeners may already have been aware of, being named the tournament's star player by FIFA. Um, As always, I'm your host, Joe Donoghue, but I'll be deferring to Lou and Steve's expertise on this one as the two men who've watched as much of this tournament as anybody working in the professional game. Um, Lads, how did we find the World Cup in general?
1: Yeah, interesting as always. Um, very different with the weather conditions. I think playing quite a, a big part. I think there was especially a major difference between games played during the day and games played at night when it got a little bit cooler. Um, but yeah, like we talking thirty to thirty-five degree temperatures, really high humidity, and you know ninety minutes of, of really high tempo football that these players probably haven't played at ever before um, it takes a bit out of out of them and. You know, a huge amount of games like the last 30 minutes was kind of just a slugfest of, of transition ball, two teams that really just couldn't run both ways at, at 100%. Um, but yeah, still, above all that, you still get to see you know, a huge amount of quality shine through. And then also you get the little bit of added uh, e- extra information maybe about how different players adapt athletically to those conditions already at a young age and who can run out those 90 minutes at a, at a super high level. Despite the the testing conditions, so as always, you learn learn a lot. These players are you know two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, mainly some two thousand and eight. So players that haven't really you know been exposed to to this kind of you know publicity on a on a global stage. And uh, yeah, for a lot of them, we're we're getting to see them for the first time, and, and, and always really impressed by by the level.
2: Yeah, I think we have to just not lose sight of the fact that these are for the most part, under uh, 17-year-old, 17-year-old, 16-year-old, so they still have a lot of developing to do. So seeing them tested in these very difficult conditions with, they had a game every three days or so was uh, quite enlightening. And as Stevie said, it's our first opportunity for us to watch a lot of the names. So yeah, good fun in general. There was a few moments when, when the games went a bit turgid and difficult to watch at times. The refereeing didn't help. That was a, another theme of the of the tournament but um on the whole interesting stuff especially if you're if you're into youth football like we are
0: yeah absolutely um and just going through sort of the, the final uh positions of, of all the teams that, that participated you had germany who won their first under 17 title um and france were the runners-up beating on penalties in that final um but third place was was mali and fourth was was argentina um I mentioned in sort of the introduction that it was a German player who was given FIFA's award uh, of the golden ball and a South American, an Argentinian who won um the golden boot. Um those two players, I mean, what did you what did you make of, of Paris Brunner and, and Agustin Roberto,
1: Steve? Yeah, well, Paris Brunner is one that we kind of knew a bit about, seen quite a lot of him through the under seventeen Euros earlier in the year where he was completely dominant, I believe. If I remember correctly, he won the, the player of the tournament as, of 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 that. Uh, as well as Germany won that tournament too Um, and again here just the guy is really at a really high athletic level compared to to the other players of this tournament Um, and he's just a real moments player there was a a quarterfinal against Spain for example he was having a a terrible game really barely getting any touches not having much impact but then he can flick the switch and just have a really really damaging impactful sequence of play and in this instance it was a a really strong run inside and dribbled past Hector Ford and he was able to, to win a penalty. And that eventually was the the deciding goal in the game. So it's just those little moments. And he, after that kind of grew into the tournament a bit more and was super impressive in the final as well. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a, he's a star player and yeah, he's got a, a really big future ahead of him.
2: Yeah. Brunner again, as Stevie said, just a guy that we've seen a lot of in UEFA uh, youth league level. Uh, as Stevie said, he's much more mature physically than a lot of his peers. So he has that capacity to put the team on his back. Almost. There's a bit of Raphael Liao about him in style. I think that sort of left-sided sort of center forwardy wingery, someone who can go at his man one V one. He can ride contact, get into the box, get into good positions to finish. Um, he's just that all-round package of a forward that can that really does elevate teams at this level and uh yeah it wasn't a surprise that he had the seat that he had the tournament that he did have
0: just touching on so the augustine Roberto as well then um he was the the tournament's top scorer with with eight goals um at the under-17 World Cup this year um Argentina made it to the semi-finals obviously finishing in, in fourth place there were a couple of players of interest um that that um you guys picked out in your your roundups on on the scouted notebook um but roberto you know what were your what were your thoughts of, of him steve and you know was was he the standout in that argentina team or was there somebody else who was maybe a bit better suited to to the the scouted solo treatment
1: yeah roberto was a bit of a strange one i, th- I think even by the end of the tournament i couldn't quite wrap my head around kind of exactly what he did but um the guy can finish he was in a lot of moments at the right place at the right time and and finished very, very clinically. Um, as I said, I'm still trying to wrap my head because in kind of normal play, he was very, very absent. Um, so much of Argentina's play really ran through their two wingers and it was mainly him kind of waiting for things to happen. Um, and then just finding positions in the box to take up. Um, he scored a hat trick against, against Germany. Uh, so yeah, he did, basically exactly what he had to do with his role role in the team but it's hard to say he was probably the best player for argentina when he was just filling his niche and there was other players that were doing a huge amount in terms of progressing the ball and getting it into those right positions compared to him
0: lou who was the uh who, who was the player that that stood out for you in this this argentinian team was it claudio Echeverri by any chance I I can't speak about Argentina at all because
2: I've not watched anything of them. Basically, I so I watch. I'll, I'll jump yesterday.
1: in. I'll jump in. I'll jump yeah, in. Yeah, Steve's um, the
2: Argentina man. There
1: there was a there was a few. I don't I th- I don't think Echeverry was a standout. I think he kind of slowly grew into the tournament, and then he obviously had that game against Brazil when he scored a hat trick and and it was just incredible. I probably have to say that Santiago Lopez out on the right was probably their best, but they more had a a Pretty good mix, I think. Uh, Octavio Antivero on at left back was really really good uh, as a 2008er com- competing in this tournament. Uh, through the midfield, both the uh, uh, Valentino Acuna and uh, Mariano Jerez at, at the base of a, a double pivot, uh, was super impressive as well. Acuna was, um, kind of like a, almost like Nicolo Barella kind of uh profile, and it was actually funny because I saw that he'd uh he plays at Newell's. And he'd one one time stunt double in 2014 playing Lionel Messi in uh, in a feature film. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. And then also uh, Jan Subiabre on the on the left wing was was impressive as well. So they, they had a pretty broad uh, spread of, of contributors and probably not so much one standout that needed to to carry them.
0: Lou, just coming to you in terms of the the sort of the, the scouting, how how you watch these tournaments and how you assess the players because. It's very difficult to um, to gauge whether, you know, these under-17s players are, are going to go on to to be, you know, do massive, massive things on the whole. I mean, you look at the likes of Brunner, of course, there's, a, there's a, an expectation that he will play at the very top level. But that's not a foregone conclusion for so many of these, these youngsters. You know, if... If you if you're a scout listening, or if you're you know a wannabe scout analyst, that sort of thing, what are the what are the things that you were looking out for um, for the in, in this tournament as somebody to to be a real standout and shows that they've maybe got those transferable skills to take from youth football into the, the professional men's game?
2: Yeah, I I think getting you getting to grips with the athletic capabilities of the players is is pretty important. Um, Obviously, they're 17-year-olds. They're so, Brunner, for example, is this the most that he's going to grow? Is this, the, is this the quickest he'll ever be? So, if, if he's a difference maker at this level because of his physicality, how will that translate to senior football what, against bigger players, uh, faster players, stronger players? Um, that's the thing you have to judge the most, I think. But apart from that, then, you're looking for standout traits personally. Um, you're looking for little bits of little nuances that could make a difference at senior level little little touches little bits of knowledge little bits of little bits of info little bits like that that can really elevate them from a a standout at this level to a standout or or just a just even a good senior player because the the hit rate on these players now it is quite hit and miss it's not a it's not a surefire thing that what fifty percent of these players will go on and play a high level at senior level? So that's what makes the under seventeen versions of these tournaments exciting, and also there's a bit of trepidation behind it as
0: well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Steve. I'm guessing that you probably echo those those points. Is there anything
1: that you in particular look, like to look out for as, as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with with Lou on the fact that you need to really get a sense of the physical level because that is probably the most important thing in in understanding how much these players can develop from what they are now watching this tournament into what they could be. The technical level at this age is probably a far more set. Obviously there's still development that the players can go through over the you know next 10 to 15 years of a senior career. But the the physical change can can be massive. And then yeah above that really first is trying to understand what players are and kind of understanding their profile and then really trying to look for the you know micro tendencies within that so you know if you're you're looking for someone that all right this guy looks like a you know a press resistant ball winning number six okay he's got the base skill set but then what does he add on top of that and you know some instances like hamadou makalu with Mali, you go okay he can do that but he can just do xyz at a really really high level as well so you know you start to get excited about the possibilities of someone with a multifaceted skill set that can do different things at a high level and then you kind of need to work out who's maybe a bit more technically limited and 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 really try to tr- try to gauge from there because as i said at this at this age you're probably a bit more set in terms of uh technical ceiling as opposed to physical ceiling um and then you kind of need to judge those two things against each other and Think about how then they scale up over the next, you know, three to four years in 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 easing their way into senior football.
0: We've discussed Argentina a little bit, um, who were the fourth place team. Um, we'll go in sort of reverse order of the the semi finalists um, in terms of their final position. Um, the team that I, I, I sort of hinted towards in the introduction was the one that, that stole our hearts ever so slightly, um, and it's 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 become quite a theme, hasn't it? When we've been watching these um unders tournaments whether it's the 17s or the the under 20 world cup you do tend to get an african team with lots of really athletic young players who yes maybe you know that their their tactical understanding might not be as sharp as some of the lads who play in top european academies but as you were talking about sort of the technical ability the the physical ability is a really standout aspect and it helps them in these sort of environments and these tournaments um Mali were that team this year um, and Steve, you just touched on probably their star player, um, Hamadou Makili, um, who was uh, the recipient of the Silver Ball award uh, behind Paris Brunner, I believe, from FIFA. Um, what did we, what did we make of that that Mali team then? What was it that made them so alluring and so easy
1: to sort of get behind? Yeah, I, I, they were easily the best team at the tournament. It's almost, uh, you know, it b- brings me great pain when they, <laughs> when they. Uh, When they got knocked out uh, by France in their semi-final, they had a a red card midway through the game that took them from a a 1-0 lead to an eventual 2-1 loss. They hit the crossbar in stoppage time from a free kick as well. Um, But yeah, they they were so exciting. Um, I'll 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 trip you up on the, the tactical stuff because some of their combination work was absolutely sensational going forward. They were the best attacking team by an absolute country mile in terms of what they were able to create against mid blocks and deep blocks and, and and picking apart teams rather than just playing some sort of transition ball. McAlew was easily the best player of the tournament as well. I think it's yeah, it's always tends to go the golden ball to a player who was on the the winning team, but he was miles by miles the best player. Um but they had a, a, a range of standouts. Ibrahim Diarra on the right wing was was really good and he came in with a with a pretty big reputation from the from the AFCON and and he delivered. Issa Traoré at the back, um, Kone, who was uh, yeah. MacLul's midfield partner, perfect foil for him, and an excellent uh, deep lying creator and ball winner as a number six. Um, even uh, Dumbia up front, he got uh, he scored a hat trick in the first game, and then missed most of the tournament after uh, after getting sent off uh, against Spain, but came in and played a really strong role again when he when he was able to come back onto the field in the semi final. So, yeah, I think the level of, of some of these players is definitely above Mali teams that we've seen reach this stage in the Under-17 World Cup in the past. Um, they had some nice players before, but I think the the ones that we're seeing here are, are another step up. Um, and I think there's going to be, yeah, a queue of, of European clubs looking at, at bringing some of these guys over as soon as they, they turn 18 in the next 12 months or so. Yeah, Lou, looking at sort of the teams that, that this Mali squad are,
0: are playing for currently. Um, the vast majority, aside from a very, very small uh, number, are, are still playing in, in Mali. Um, you've got uh, you know the, the likes of Badra Traore, the forward who's, who's at Metz in France. Uh, and I believe you've got uh, Salif Noah Lentu uh, at Bethesda Sport Club in, in the United States as well. But there's the, the so, so many players here who are playing for Guida, um, who, which is a, a Malian team. What what can you what can you tell us about you know the 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 pathway the the sort of the pipeline the production um, of these these young players that makes them able to compete on the world stage against you know the likes of your your Argentines your France's your Germany's Red Bull Salzburg I
2: think that's <laughs> probably the the club that I'll ha- I'll be keeping a track on in terms of the pathways for a lot of these players Mets um, yeah, as I, I, well I think- to be fair. Yeah, Mets, they're more in Senegal, but again, they have links in in West Africa. Um, Even uh, FC Nordjylland, perhaps, they have good links in West Africa as well. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, they can't move until they're 18. So it will be interesting to see how quickly these moves are sealed up, if if they are. I think Ibrahim Diara, the captain of the Mali team, has already signed a deal at Barcelona, I think. A pre-agreement with them. That, that was the rumour. So that's an interesting one. He's quite a quite a sleek, fluid, languid, sort of wide attacker that can do a bit of everything. He can link between lines, uh, shoot from range, get into the box, arrive, r- arrive into good areas. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the, the case study for this team is Makalu and Kone, the, the two double pivots. So Makalu was an absolute dynamo. He was doing absolutely everything. Uh, he could break up play. He could he could fizz passes between lines. He could shoot from range. He almost scored uh, a couple of unbelievable free kicks. Um he, he was the complete package, but he was quite small. So it's interesting to see how his physicality will will transfer into the European game. But then Coney, on the other hand, is a bit more. Is a bit more of an all-rounder in terms of an athlete. I think he's a bit taller. He's a bit more, uh, he's a bit more rangy. He has that athletic base that can make a quicker impact, perhaps in European football. So it'll be really interesting to see how where they go initially and how quickly they can scale up to the European game. But um, I think both are, are top-level talents. Both complemented each other so well in this tournament. Um, did Stevie mention Ibrahim Kanate as well? I think he was one of those uh, players that was on the precipice of having a properly breakout tournament. He only scored, I think it was two goals and got one assist, but it, it could have been 20. four, five, six goals. Uh, yeah, it, it, a bit uh, more uh, better finishing, and he could have had a a breakout tournament himself in terms of uh, the broader the broader eye getting onto him. Um, but yeah. Um, just so much quality throughout the team. And yeah, as you say, that the next step is the important one. But I'm pretty bullish about three, four, maybe even five of these
0: going on to good things. Just looking at um, you mentioned Ibrahim Kanate there. Um, and I did I confess didn't watch any of any of this. Um, so I'm deferring to the pair of you, but looking down the squad list, he's playing at Afrique Football Elite. Um, and you go onto their page and you look at the notable players that have played. Um, for for that club in the Malian Premier Division before, and you've got El Bilal Toure, who's obviously made the the step over to to European football, and Moises Sahi as well, who is obviously now with with Strasbourg. Um, and you know, you look at the 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 fact that there has been a pathway previously, and um, you have to say that clearly something is is being done is done right there. And I'm sure there were many more qualified people than than just myself um, who are who are in agreement that um or an agreement sorry that should be um that uh something is definitely happening in in sort of african football at, at that level um steve where would you like to go next would you like to focus on the winners or would you like to go with uh, the france team who ended up uh, runners up
1: oh, we'll continue your order we'll go we'll go with france
0: to to whom am i deferring uh the expertise here because um I don't want to fall foul of, of asking <laughs> the, uh, the wrong person who I, the expert on France I is considering. I did that previously. That would be pretty bad in the space of 20 minutes or so. <laughs> uh,
1: I'll start. Um, yeah, they came second, but I have to say they were extremely difficult to watch at times. Um, yeah. Very slow ball movement. Uh, just struggled to progress the ball with any sort of Consistent, you know, directness, or they 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 found a lot of their midfield runners really pinned up too high and disconnected from from Matisa Mugu at, at uh, the base of midfield, who had a fantastic tournament. Uh, so it's yeah, really hard to gauge the individual quality of some of their players. I think Joachim K Sander in defence was really good. They only conceded what three goals in, the, and they came in the the semi and two in the final. Um, but yeah, just the way that they moved the ball and progressed the ball, it became extremely difficult to really assess their players, um, you know, with as much information as possible because yeah, some of it was just very, very difficult and that, yeah, they didn't score a huge amount, which is quite rare for these tournaments where you're often getting, you know, three, four five goals a game quite routinely. Um, so yeah, just. I was surprised that they could have been knocked out by uh, Senegal in the in the round of 16 very easily. They got through that on yeah. penalties. They really should have lost to Mali, but a red card turned the game in their favor and they made it through. And then they probably should have been three or four goals down against Germany at halftime in the final and, and managed to, again, get a red card for, for Germany and then draw it back to 2-2. And eventually they fell at the last hurdle of what would have been a very improbable Uh, tournament victory. So, yeah, hard to gauge. There's obviously a few good plays in there. As I said, Amuga, who uh, held together everything at the base midfield. Simon Buabre, who we talked about before on the the substack during the uh, under-17 Euros, probably wasn't as good at this tournament as he was in the Euros, but I think he was one of the main players that struggled with the, the slow ball movement and the inability for them to really create any sort of patterns of play whatsoever. Uh, and then the other person that's yeah stood out was was Sander at uh, at centre back, and then another one who I couldn't believe by the end of the tournament wasn't starting was Iram uh, Zag, who plays for PSG at right back, and he whenever he came on was was really influential as well. And uh, I think I wrote about him uh, on one of the the match day roundups too.
2: Yeah, I I, I think Kai Sander is a. Is a is a banker for the future. I think he's one of the youngest teams, uh, one of the youngest players in the squad. But he captains them already, and you can really see that charisma, that that leadership, that almost experience that he plays with us at such a young young age. Already, he's, he's a mature athlete as well. Um, the comparison I made uh, with him was Mark Gehi. so I think he's quite similar in profile, just like an all round solid player. Nothing spectacular but a really solid defender uh really clean on the ball um the interesting player that i like from this team is ivan titi at right back i think he's a, a classic fullback in many ways he's like an up and down runner but he's a he's a really good 1v1 defender he's quite big for his age quite rangy quite physical and he uses his physique really well as a defender um amugu at the base stevie's touched on him he had a good he had a uh, a good tournament on the whole. He would be one to watch at, at Saint Etienne in, in Ligue 2. But they did fall down in just just in terms of those attacking patterns. There was I can't remember the, any sort of attacking threat that they had. Um in terms of getting the ball up to attacking areas and then doing something around the box. Um Matisse Lambord, who's got quite a high profile already as a as a uh, academy graduate, he he flattered to, to deceive quite a bit. Um Although I felt so for him.
1: I felt so for Lambert at times because they were so slow at getting the ball yeah. into him that he really just didn't have the opportunity to, to do a whole lot. There was no transition really quick enough where he, he's quite fast and, and quite athletic and he just had no chances to, to really like threaten the defensive line with a run or anything like that. It was heaps of coming short and then kind of recycling back through midfield. And yeah, it just, nothing was happening.
2: But yeah, but this, if you compare this squad to the, to the Euro squad that won last year's Euros, the the 2005 age group, which had Matisse Tell, Warren Zaire Emery, who was still eligible for this one, but he's obviously now playing at senior level. That's how good he is. Uh, Desiree Doue. the 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 difference in quality is quite stark. So um, they were missing a couple. Ellie Junior Croupy, another one that was eligible for this for this tournament, but he was a, he was starting at Lorient, so they didn't release him. Um they were missing a couple of, of difference makers, but still I think as Stevie said, they were fortunate to get to the final in the first place. Senegal should have beat them, Mali should have beat them. Um
0: yeah, so not much to say really apart from that. Do you think that um well, I mean you mentioned the two players that stood up for you, Lou, the one being Joachim Kai Sander and, and Ivan Titi. You know, Kai is at Valenciennes uh, and Titi is at Troy. Um, both are clubs who have, um, yeah. or rather both are sort of, um, minority clubs in sort of a, a larger model, uh, Valenciennes with, um, Sport Republic owned by, um, who, who owns Southampton as well. And then Troy, obviously part of the, the city football network. Um, do you think there's the potential there that in future there, there, there is the, the, the chance that either of those might be playing in English football?
2: Uh, Kai Sander definitely, I think Titi and Tua are, are different because CFG don't really use it in that sort of way. They don't really use the multi-club model to funnel it up to Manchester City. They, they sort of just use it in, and in, a, in a sort of money-making way, basically. But cool. I think Kai Sander is definitely one to keep an eye on uh, in terms of Southampton, especially if Southampton get back up to the Premier League, which they probably should in the next couple of years, if not this season. Um, he's one to watch. It will be interesting to see how quickly they push him into the Valenciennes team. Now he's been on the bench a couple of times. Uh, he's started a couple of games as well, and he's still he doesn't turn, he's only just turned seventeen. So I think he has the quality and and the profile to make an impact in senior football pretty quickly. And league the as often has been is a is a good place for these players to cut their teeth. So. Definitely one to watch from
0: a Southampton sp- perspective. Steve, you're sat there wearing the uh, the Germany strip. Um, would you like to to give us the uh, the lowdown on the on the tournament winners then? Brunner, aside, the Golden Ball winner.
1: Yeah, so under 17 Euro winners backed it up and uh, and went two from two. They started the tournament strongly, and they kind of just kept chugging along. They. Mm. Uh, you know, led really well at the back by Finial. She was probably the best centre-back at the tournament. Um, but then, yeah, really just didn't lack for anything in any area of the pitch. It's, it's just a solid all-round squad. Um, they'll probably let down a little bit by Noah Darvish with his high profile and his performances at the at the under-17 Euro. I think he had a bit of a, a weaker tournament and just couldn't be as consistently as impactful as he was at the at the Euros. But, yeah, uh, Faisal Hashawi at the base of midfield was, was fantastic. I think one of my favorite kind of revelations of the tournament was Eric da Silva Moreira at right back, who is the cousin of, uh, of Diego Moreira. Am I getting it right? The Chelsea, yeah. Chelsea uh, signing from from Benfica. Um, he was awesome. A really athletic, technically gifted fullback. I believe he's kind of fiddled around between right wing and right back throughout the last year or two of his, of his career um and then defensively at this level at least uh yeah his athleticism was was more than enough to to be able to deal with some of the some of the the wingers that were were coming up against him so he was he was excellent um and then up front max morstedt up front was a he kind of slow start in the tournament but by the by the time they got towards the final it was really really good um not just a, a lump in the middle that had to, to stand there and, and deliver he got out in transition through the channels and was able to bring the likes of of Bruna into the into the um into the action. Probably the one that I feel sorry for. Well there's actually two because Asan Wadrago was unable to to take part in most of the tournament after getting injured. And then Charles Herman from from Dortmund, who had started the tournament so so well out in the right flank and he's a really, really good foil for for Bruna. He's more of a higher touch um more consistent impact player. That's like a good foil for Bruno. who's more of the low touch, but get in the box and and, and, and score and, and make all the final actions. But he got injured and had to be replaced. So again, this, there's probably a good six, seven, eight players that you could look at in this team and go on and say, yeah, they'll probably be pretty solid at least Bundesliga players over the next four, five, six years. Um, and so I think the the Germans will be pretty happy with this crop of players. How did um, the best name in the tournament, winners Osawe, get on?
0: RB Leipzig midfielder, because that's winners spelt I like the, the English spelling. Winners. It's a great first name, un- unless you're probably setting your child up for failure if, uh, <laughs> if he's not a winner. I really like him. Um, I first watched him
2: uh, maybe a month ago in the UEFA Youth League against Manchester City, and he was playing a sort of a tucked-in left winger role in a four-four-two where Leipzig were playing a very specific sort of Brighton ball style, and he was making a really big difference with his ability to carry the ball. He's really tall, but he has that sort of languid movement about him, similar to Odrago, who 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 missed a lot of the tournament through injury. That was a shame. But Asawe is definitely one that I can see pushing on up into senior football pretty quickly. I think he has that profile that teams are... Are really keen to have in midfield the the press resistance the the box to box carrying. I think he there's a bit of Amadou Nana about him. That's the comparison I made in one of our youth league roundups. He has that sort of all round package. He can do a bit of everything, but maybe he just needs to focus on one or two things to really kick on up into a certain level. But um, I really like him. I, I think Stevie wasn't quite as high on him. At this tournament, as as I am in general, but um,
1: yeah, right I, I think. in the final was a bit silly.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've actually not watched the final yet, so <laughs> I need to watch that back. But yeah, I think as a whole, Asawi is is one to watch from this team, like like quite a few of them
0: looking at the other teams who maybe weren't in the um in the the final four um obviously this is an english football an english speaking podcast so we should probably talk about england um at this tournament mm-hmm. um and i mean looking at the squad it, it seemed as though it was a relatively decent squad um obviously a few players missing who were eligible um similar to to what we were discussing earlier about the france team but Nothing which would suggest that, you know, they, they'd they struggle or should struggle. They were eliminated in the knockouts by Uzbekistan, um, which to, to a lot of people might sound as though, you know, that was a real giant killing. But Uzbekistan actually were a, a reasonable side based on what you guys were were discussing in those in those roundups on the notebook. Um, but going through the squad, just picking out a few names for, for England. You had Man United's Finley McAllister, who I know you're quite fond of. Um, mm-hmm. Ishiya Samuel-Smith, defender, um, who's with Chelsea, formerly of Everton. I think he moved for £4 million um, uh, over the summer or, or, or last year. Tyler Dibbling at Southampton. Um, he's a, a, an, a, an attacking player who's who's very uh, impactful and has been at, at youth level. Um, and then you've got the the likes of Justin Obobwadu at Manchester City. And I think most people will appreciate that I've done that first time off the cuff um, because that is... <laughs> An absolute minefield to pronounce. Um, <laughs> Joel and Dala was probably, I think, was the the top scorer for England at this tournament. Another Manchester City forward, um, and then some of the Arsenal boys as well. You know, Miles Lewis Skelly, um, who's just a fantastic box to box player, uh, and Ethan Waneri, who is uh, still only sixteen as well. Um, one of you guys, what did you make of of England's performance at this tournament in, on on the whole? And who were the who were the standouts? Who were the disappointments?
1: they were a little bit like uh France in the sense that they just really struggled to break down a set defense um their game against Uzbekistan they were just like running into a brick wall for the whole game essentially the real the one player that just really threatened to just break everything open every time he he got the ball was Joel Dala he was he was sensational um mm. just a dribble god he just he gets the ball he just dribbles and he's extremely good at it um Outside of that, it was quite disappointing. I think Lewis Skelly just was just lacking a step. Um, Phil Costa, our friend, said that he almost looked like he just wasn't fit. Uh, Ishay Samuel Smith was awesome. Um, kind of, I-, I see him as a bit of a, a Levi Colwell kind of regen in terms of his willingness to attract the first line of the press and then just be able to simply break out of it and then find really good. Uh, progressive options forward, and then really cleaning his defensive actions as well. So I think he he was one of the standout centre-backs of the tournament. But outside of that, there just wasn't really anyone that could consistently break down a team. Ethan Nguyeneri came off the bench mostly. He kind of threatened to do some good things in some moments, but yeah, they just didn't have a reliable attacking option to go to apart from Indala. Lou, how about your thoughts on, on the England team if you
0: managed to, to catch any of those games?
2: Yeah, pretty similar, really. Um, andala was excellent. It was the tournament of andala up to a certain point. Well, until they got knocked out. Had they reached the semi-final or something, I think Andala would have had uh, a, a, a golden ball, silver ball sort of award, and definitely, because he had that sort of tournament. Everything went through him in terms of England's best attacking moments. Such a shifty player. He has those little hesitations, those little drops of the shoulder and just drives past players so easily. Uh, He's been on the precipice of doing something like this for City's youth teams for a while now. He hasn't quite done it at at club level, but this was a a real taste of what's to come, I think. Um, Yeah, you touched on McAllister as well. I like him. I think he's had england maybe committed to him a bit earlier in terms of their midfield composition i think they'd have a much more solid base uh, to work off to, to build those attacks on then he's he's very simple he's he's a two touch player he keeps he keeps playing moving with with simple passes but you can punch through lines at times he has that little awareness to spin out of pressure um and yeah he was on the pitch crying after after Uzbekistan knocked them out. And then the following Sunday, he was in the away end at, at Goodison Park with United celebrating. So he's a he's a United home and away sort of guy. He, he captains their under-18s team. So that's quite a nice little story. Um, but yeah, they, they sort of did flatter, to deceive in general. Um, I, I
0: don't really know what to say, really. Um Yeah. That's good, because we're on a podcast. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, no, no, I, I know what you mean. And um, England was probably the team's performances who I followed closest, because obviously I've got a keen interest in youth football in, in this country. And, um, you know, a, a lot of the names were, were familiar to me as well, whereas, you know, the, a lot from the other teams perhaps weren't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you they were knocked out by Uzbekistan. What were What were the Uzbeks like? Because, I mean, we've we've had a couple of um episodes recently over the past year or so when uzbekistan have had teams at youth international tournaments can't remember was it the under 20 world cup where it was abozbek fizulayev who was quite yeah, a standout was, he was yeah. he's now at cska in in russia they got to the round of 16 in in
2: that one and this side uh got to a semi final in the under 16 asian cup so this has been coming this isn't out of the blue they seem to be uh, a rising force within within asian football i think a couple of those uh, from the end of 20 team like Faisalayev, and there was a center back who moved to launch they got good moves off the back of that tournament i can see similar with a couple of these players i think stevie was keen on a couple
1: yeah Mizayev i think was probably the the big standout one just a a proper energizer bunny um through midfield knew what to do in transition took up all the right spaces scored a, a sumptuous free kick to to win the game against England. So he was probably the the main one, but like their teams at every level always just know how to play their style. They sit back yeah. and it's kind of, if people watch Iranian teams as well, it, it's a very similar style, but they're really good at sitting in their mid to low block. They absorb pressure and they transition with surprising speed and efficiency. Iran did the exact same thing in this tournament. They caused England a huge amount of problems. They beat Brazil. So yeah, that's, that, that region of the world is, is very, you know, someone that watches a decent amount of World Cup qualifying in, in Asia as well. It's a, you know, that's the way they play and they learn it at a young age. They might not be the most technical players necessarily across the pitch. They'll always have like one or two really tricky, tidy creators that they look to, to kind of feed the ball through in transition. And then they'll have, you know, line runners in attack, um, Someone that will get behind the defensive line for Uzbekistan it was uh, Saidov, who I think he scored three or four at the, yeah. at the tournament, and all in a, a similar style and transition. So, there's, you know, I think the, there's such a variance in the tactical level of, of teams at these tournaments, and it, that's another thing is you can almost see within the coaching systems a, a, a big gap, just as you can see in the, in the skill differences of, of the players. Um, and they're just a team that yeah knows what they do and knows how to execute it, and, and they did a really good job of doing that.
2: They also produced probably my favorite moment of the, of the entire tournament when they were just about <laughs> to knock England out. I think it was the ninth minute uh, of added time. And the ball goes out of play. And then their coach, wait for it, this is a long name Yamolidin Rachmutulayev, that's their coach, absolutely twatted the ball into the stands. <laughs> full on swing. Like the, the technique. Got sent off. The form was perfect. He got sent off after it. It was like a scuffle. Even though it was a multi-ball system, there was a ball waiting to be played on and England were just too busy fighting. And yeah, one of my favourite moments, go find the clip if you can. If not, I've, there's a screenshot on our Twitter account, which um, sort of sums it up. But that was one of my favourite moments of the entire thing.
0: Yeah, we do love to see the occasional um, bit of, I don't know, what you call it, shithousery. Um, <laughs> but that is, that is absolutely, you know, tournament defining shithousery that is and the <laughs> screen grab that you got Lou that was that was brilliant as well because it took me a few seconds to clock what was actually in the screen grab and then when I did because because by the time I came across it a lot of people had already retweeted and liked it and replied sort of with laugh crying emojis um and I was like I'm not really seeing this I'm just seeing the score line are they that pleased that England have been knocked out and then right at the bottom right hand <laughs> corner that's where you can see it and it's just it does. It just
1: it provokes a smile. Um, it's just um, a leg cocked up like ten meters, ready to like just swing on it. It's absolutely, just heritage football. Heritage, fantastic stuff.
0: Um, right, this is the point of the podcast where you've got one player or team who you didn't know a great deal about beforehand. Um, who surprised you, or you know, you 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 grew fond of over the course of the tournament? As I say, it can be a team similar to Mali, or it can be um, an individual player from from one of those teams um, that we haven't already discussed. Um, and I'm limiting it to one because I know for a fact that you'll go on and on and on <laughs> about the, the countless uh, scouted football eleven uh, of, of underrated players at this tournament. But um, yeah, who wants to to do the honors and go first? You can go first, Lou.
2: Okay. My my one is a Generation Foot player, um, obviously the famous Senegalese Academy. Um, it might not be the one that you were perhaps thinking of, but his name is Idrissa gay Not that one, not the one from Everton. Uh, this one's a, a big, burly striker. Um, a complete package of a centre-forward. Scored a hat-trick against, I can't remember who now. Uh, let me just... But that doesn't matter. He scored a hat trick in in one game, which was really good. His box movements really tidy. There was a as we as I was saying, looking for those little tendencies, micro tendencies. There was the way he just used his arms was really impressive, and P, and players who can use their arms and hands well get a big tick get a big tick in my scouting box. So he he was a complete package of for a centre forward. He could be that target man. He was mobile, he was physical, he was quite quick. He had good touch, good awareness, just a complete package. And again, he'll be similar to Amara Diouf, the 15-year-old captain of, of, of this team who's already played at senior level f- for Senegal. He'll be one that will go to FC Mets probably sooner rather than later. And yeah, I, I really liked him as a, as a striker prospect from this tournament. And
1: I, I And I can see him going on to do good things in senior football. I'm I'm like looking at at my notes and stuff and like trying to pick. I, I wanted to go with Ontivero, but I kind of already talked about him before. Um, oh, I don't know, this is too God. hard. Uh, Kenny Arroyo at, uh, from Ecuador was was really fun. I uh, didn't really know a huge amount about uh, these Ecuadorian players. There's a huge number of them from uh, Independiente del Valle, um, so I'll go with him. He played against. Uh, Brazil in the round of 16 and was probably the the best player on the field. Um, very athletic, but also kind of subtle in his ability to tuck into midfield and, and be the, the funnel through which their their transition uh, attacks went through, but then could also get high and wide on the right and be more of a kind of orthodox um, right winger in, in getting to the byline and trying to get crosses in. And he, he got an assist in that game with a nice cutback to, to Michael Bermudez up front. And then the ball striking, extremely good as well. He almost scored a 45, 50 fifty-yard free kick in that game that hit the he hit the post and just went out. So yeah, he was a uh, yeah. If I had to maybe pick one out that we haven't mentioned yet, he's probably the the player I'd go with.
0: Excellent stuff. Um, well, thank you very much for listening to this uh, comprehensive roundup of the 2023 FIFA Under-17 World Cup, uh, won by Germany, of course. Um, if you'd like to to read more about this tournament, um, then the only place, in my very biased but very correct opinion, uh, to <laughs> go and do that is uh, over on the Scouted Notebook, uh, where Lou and Steve have, have been doing their roundups from, from all the match days um, at that tournament. And there are, I mean, a litany of players that we haven't discussed um, that you can read about there and um, even more in-depth stuff uh, on the ones that we have discussed. So um, consider this a little teaser if you want to go and, and read some more on that. Um, as well, on the notebook at the moment, um, we've got the, the first profile of the, the scouted 50, uh, which has been released, of course. Uh, that was was written by uh, Steve yourself uh, on Fabio Moretti, uh, Juventus's answer to Nicolo Barella, a demon, I believe you called him um, in uh, in your uh, your appraisal of him, using um, our, our partners, uh, Skill Corner's very, very excellent um, tracking data. Um, so uh, if you'd like to to read that, I, I can I've, I can vouch for it. It's an excellent read. Uh, there's also uh, something up on Independiente, Del Valle, uh, the Ecuadorian team, which is um, the the one t- the one club that all South American coaches want to work for, uh, which was was penned by um, our very trusted contributor Benji Bochak a uh, fantastic journalist in his own right, um, having spoken to some of the coaches over there in Ecuador. Um, Steve, do you have any any parting comments for for this week's uh, this this episode?
1: Yeah, again, I'll reiterate. Go go sign up to the Substack. We're getting close to to five hundred of you on there now. Um, yeah, we're going to be getting. Profiles two, three, four of the scattered fifty up very, very shortly, which uh me and Lou and, and Phil are hard at work at at the moment. And there's going to be some some other good stuff that we'll be getting up very shortly with the skill corner data, which is, yeah, having played around a bit for for a week or two now has been very interesting. It's very unique data and 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 different to the normal kind of stats that that you see out there. Um so yeah, go sign up. I think you've got something coming in, in partnership with uh, with Tom, our, our trusted editor as well. Uh, so, yeah, so much to come on there. Um, yeah, other than that, thank you all for listening and uh, for Youth League stuff uh, coming up as well while we take a, a break from international youth tournaments until uh, until the under-17 Euros. Yeah, that, that Skill
0: Corner data is just an absolute rabbit hole. I spent two days last week just absolutely burying my head in it, trying to find <laughs> all sorts of... Um, all sorts of little nuances and, and data points and there's it's just there's so much um and it's it as you say it's very unique um and yeah really useful and it's definitely going to enhance the way that we do things It's scouted and enhance the way that we um you know write our reports and 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 assess players so um yeah huge huge thanks to, to the guys at skill corner for that but um Yeah, thank you very much for for listening to the Scouted Football Podcast. I've been Joe Donoghue, joined by Stephen Ganavas and Lou Davies. And this has been our Under-17 World Cup review episode. Bye for now. The Scouted podcast is brought to you with the support of our friends at Skill Corner, whose tracking data and performance analytics are used by many of the top clubs, leagues, and federations around the world. Covering a wide range of global competitions, Skill Corner's data helps customers to make faster, better informed decisions in recruitment, player development, and strategy. And we are now using it to support our own analysis of up and coming talent. For more information, visit skillcorner.com.